sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You bruised half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Rumor and innuendo about your favorite bands and your favorite songs. My name is Brian. And hey, guys, it's Murdoch. And you know you can always get involved in the show. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. And hey, did you, you know, let's go Let's go current events for a moment. Did you see this story about uh, Pearl Jam in Oakland uh, a couple weeks ago? Oh, that they, yeah, sure, that the, the drummer got COVID and they got like fill-in drummers. Yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're playing. They had multiple fill-in drummers. So oh, yeah. They're, they're, at this, they're playing this date. It's been rescheduled as part of the Gigaton tour. It was supposed to happen two years ago. And then, of course, yeah, you hit it, uh, COVID. The irony, they reschedule. They show up two years later. And then drummer Matt Cameron isn't feeling good, and he actually tests positive for COVID. So I, I read that he had not missed a show in 24 years. Yeah. and Which is crazy, but this is already a two-night stands reschedule. So if you're PJ, what are you going to do? So they had some friends on the road with them. You mentioned it. They had a, a few fill-ins. They had the guy from the Chili Peppers who, I for some reason, YouTube serves me videos of this guy all the time, and he is pretty great. Josh Klinghoffer. Uh, he's been touring with them, and he can play drums too. <laughs> These guys, they yes. can do everything. It's amazing. So yeah. he he plays drums for a couple songs, and then there's this guy uh, Richard Stuvered who has like sort of been in the Pearl Jam camp, never officially part of the band, but he's been around forever, and he's I guess touring, and so he fills in for a bit. But then Eddie makes a joke from the stage and asks if any fans in the house want to fill in, and he gets a view from where he's at on the stage of this guy named Josh Arroyo. And here's what made Josh special. Josh came to the show in a custom t-shirt. I'm assuming it was a custom made t-shirt because it has the names of every one of the band's drummers on it. Now, if you aren't a big PJ fan, let me explain. Drummer is the only position in that band that's ever turned over. So, McCready, Gossard, Ament, and Vetter are the OGs. Cameron's been with the band, as I said, 24 years. He started in the late 90s. But there have actually been four other drummers in that band. Dave Croson, Matt Chamberlain, briefly, Dave Abutrazizi, and Jack Irons, in that order. So, I imagine this shirt's like those shirts where you just see the stack of names on the right side. You know what I'm talking about? Well, isn't it like the one where it has the the list of the people from Friends? Yeah, yeah, Ross, Rachel, yeah. Joey. Yeah, basically that, right? But it probably says right. Dave, Matt, Dave, or whatever. Or Crewson, Chamberlain, Aberuzzi. My my wife made me a custom-made t-shirt that had all of the Counting Crows albums. Just the first word of all the Counting Crows albums when those, when those shirts were hot. And I still wear it quite a bit. Um, so I don't I don't know why Metallica doesn't have a shirt like that that has James like spelled with the Z and like <laughs> Kirk like have it spelled in that weird Metallica font. That would be of, pretty like, dope. Big... That's got to yeah. exist. That's got to exist. Yeah. Now, if it's officially licensed, I don't know, but yeah, they should they should do that for sure. So this guy has this shirt on, and Vetter sees him and says, "Get that guy backstage. Test him for COVID." And then bring him out for the encore. No, think think of the steps. It's crazy that they went and tested the guy for COVID. I mean, clearly they needed to. I did hear, and I didn't follow up about this, but I did hear that like eventually the whole band in the last couple of weeks has gotten COVID. And I don't know if that's true or not. But um, oh, really? I haven't heard that. Does hey doesn't doesn't the guy the fan doesn't he play mind mind your manners? 
Is that right? No. So I believe they have him play yellow lead better. At least that's the video that's right. I've seen. That that's right. That's right. Someone else plays Mind Your Manners, and it like blew me away. Like because it was like, oh my gosh, someone's a really in the pocket fast drummer because that well, song's real fast. And you know, you see this. This fan gets to jam with the band motif. It happens quite a bit as a setup. But it's usually part of the showmanship. Yeah. It's not. It's not right. out of necessity, right? Like the Foo Famer, the Foo Famers, the Foo Famers got kind of fighters for it. The Foo Fighters got kind of famous for it. Um, I, it's I'm thinking. Speaking of things that YouTube feeds me, they always are feeding me the Foo Fighters guests on stage videos. Um, yeah. I, Green Day. Green Day was big on right. this for a while. Remember, we saw Green Day together back in 2017. They they, they still do it. Doing it now. And it's good. Is it the guitar player or is it just anybody that they bring up? I think it's a guitar player. I think it's a guitar player. So there, and that happens early. I remember it was like song three or something. And I remember you being you and me being me. We're like fifth row at this show. Cause our friend Rosemary hooked us up and, and you're like, okay, now they're going to bring a guy up. on. So like you told me before it happened, I think on the way to the show, you're like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I've been watching lots of videos, which is very much the Murdoch Brown experience of seeing something. It, and also, it's just like when I was I was a a little kid, like a tween, like a teenager, and I had bootleg cassettes, and I and then I found out like that there there really there really wasn't a Santa Claus that like, every night every Paul night Stanley the said the same yeah. thing. It's every yeah. night every show's the same. Well, and so people ask me all the time like, why do you love the crows? It's just like a play. It's yeah. a play. Well, and cer- okay, so certain bands are going to be right. like that, right? And in cer- and at a certain level, like if you go see a Taylor Swift show, like it's sort of like a Broadway production. Like there's a lot of things yeah. happening, and there's there's dancers and there's props and there's all this stuff. So it has to happen in a certain order, so the set doesn't change. If you go see a rock band play, I want to see a rock band who has a different show every night, and not very many bands do that anymore. Very very few bands do that anymore, and that's why I got very into the Counting Crows for a long time because they weren't a full on hippie jam band, but they did switch up their sets with a pretty. Uh, with with a sense of regularity, which is always fun and is now fun because a lot of that stuff's been recorded and you can you can stream it or download it or find it and and that's why the bootleg culture exists. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. But is if you can make things about crow or about crew and man, my mouth is not working tonight. About crew and about kiss, I can make things about the county crows. Okay, so the um, one of the best versions of this I I saw. Like, because sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, right? Like, so they'll bring a fan up and they have a way to make, like, to put the guardrails up so that if things go bad and the fan sucks, like, the fan doesn't actually get that much, you know, microphone volume or or access to the stage or whatever, right? And it's just all part of the show. But I did see a guy get pulled out at a, I think it was a Warp Tour show, the pop band The Main. They brought this guy on stage and gave him the mic and he could, like, he could sing. And like everybody got real into it because he nailed it. So when you see those moments, it's super cool. But again, it is typically planned and sort of produced. So spur of the moment kind of because they don't know exactly who they're going to pull on stage, but they, they usually sort of plan it out. Now, this story about Pearl Jam, though, got me thinking. And I got our producers thinking about this idea of a high-profile emergency replacement high pressure performance situation. I was like, has this ever happened before? This thing that happened to Pearl Jam, has there been an emergency, a rock and roll emergency where somebody is taken out of the game and just a regular everyday Joe has to go in and save the day? And 
they came back to me with one of the coolest stories I have ever heard. And I don't know how I hadn't heard it before. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. We've talked about the who plenty on this show before. I enjoy the rock and roll versus stuttering episode that has some who history, uh, but more pertinent to us today, episode 17, the who versus the holiday Inn. give you a good primer on the excesses of Mr. Keith moon. Uh, that same theme shows up again, 20 episodes later, number 37, mama Cass versus the ham sandwich 66. We talk about wild drummers. So I'm assuming we talk about Keith in that episode somewhere. Yes. So, there's a lot of context we need to create here, but if you know nothing about the who for our purposes today, just know Keith moon, wild man, drug problem dies in the late seventies. But the other context we need to cover is that we are not in the late seventies for this story. We are in the early seventies, November 20th, 1973. And the who at this point have been putting out albums for eight years and they've just dropped their sixth record. Do you know what the sixth who record is off the top of your head? No, no. Not it, off the top of my head. So it's, it's not Tommy, because Tommy's at the end of the 60s, but it's, it's the follow-up from a rock operatic standpoint. So they, they do who's next after Tommy. But then they're thinking about their ambition and their aspiration, and they want to do another rock opera. And they do this thing called Quadrophenia. It's ambitious. It's a double record. Do you, are, are you a Quadrophenia fan? No, I'm, I am... I am quite honestly on the other side of this argument about how good the who is. So you're just, you're not a who guy at all, right? No, okay. I'm not a who guy. Okay. No. Like, do you have one guilty pleasure who song or a who album? Or are you just like straight up? No, thanks. I like a quick one while a quick one while she's away, whatever that song's really great. I really like that song. Substitutes really good. I talked to our mutual friend and fan of the show, uh, Andre, the other night, and he said, you know what I admire about Murdoch? Murdoch will just put a line in the sand when he thinks a band sucks. <laughs> it's like, bro, you don't do that, but Murdoch will do it. And I said, listen, I hate the doors. Notice we've never talked about the doors on this show, really. <laughs> okay, let's talk, let's talk about this album. Double record, a lot of lore around the recording of it because the Who wanted to record it in their own studio. And they wanted to build this studio, and they start to, and they don't get done. And so they end up getting a mobile studio from the bass player from the Faces, and he starts oh, nice. to yeah, he starts to work on it with them, and then that doesn't really work out in the long term. They get a little frustrated with him, a little laissez-faire, I believe. Eventually, can you imagine having so much money, Brian? That you're like, let's build a studio, especially in the '60s or '70s, like not in 2022. You can build a studio now for like 150 bucks. You know, just get on musician's friend and go for it. But like back in the day, that was a whole thing. There's another great episode of the show, uh, "Smoke Versus the Water," where we talk about Deep Purple oh, and we yeah. talk about the recording of um, in the in that Rolling Stones mobile studio. And that's a crazy story because putting all that technology in a van uh, in the '60s or '70s is a totally different thing than it would be now. But so so tell us about, so they were using a mobile studio. That's what they were doing. Yeah, so they, they do that. And they eventually, I don't want to get too sidetracked with that, but they eventually get this album out. And people like it. The reception of the album is pretty good. But again, it's bombastic. I did read something that um, Ant Whistle at, at one point plays like sort of a straight up bass line for one of the songs and then gets really distracted just programming horns. Like they all just get sort of like into the production of it. And the problem with getting into the production of an album 
when you're the who is the problem that the Beatles faced in the late 60s, which is how the hell do you tour it, right? So the, the, the Beatles solution was we don't. They just didn't go out on the road, which you talked earlier about finding out there's no Santa Claus in a rock and roll sense. And when I found out that the Beatles quit touring in like 66, that was my reaction. It's kind of it's kind of weird, you know. It, well, it's weird, especially now that the music business has pivoted to be a live. I mean, even though I think because recording is easier, easier than it's ever been. Now there's this it, because of that, it's harder to make money with it. So the emphasis becomes the live show. And so to think about a band just straight up being like, well, we don't do that is a little weird because I've always sort of structured my relationship with the band. And I don't know about you. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. But it's like you hear the band, you get into the band's albums, and then the, like the next step, like like second base or third base with a band <laughs> to be crude about it. Yeah. Is you get to yeah. see the band live, right? You get to you get to be in the same room with them, and so like, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's the natural progression of your relationship with the band? And sometimes it's wonderful just to go straight to third base, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, you just I mean, go see them, right? And, and occasionally, <laughs> and I'll do that. So I had a great experience with that last week. I had I've always been aware of the band Lucius, and I've been told that they're a great live band. And a buddy of oh, mine and I yeah. were we were in a club, and we saw. A poster that a couple weeks later, Lucius was coming. We said, let's buy tickets to Lucius. People say they're good. And we had an amazing time. And it was like, it was. It was like this surprise. I really don't like this analogy I created because it's crude. But it is. It's like, hey, we're on third base. This is great. <laughs> it's yeah. really nice. Um, and, 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 but, that's, but that solidifies it for me, you know, for, for sure. And hey, I love the Beatles. And and now, now because of YouTube, for Pete's sakes, you can see, I used to have this on laser disc dude um and it was 1966 budokan and they had a, it was the early show i guess or whatever and it was the thing you heard them say when they when they couldn't hit the harmonies they would wave so that the girls would scream so oh you couldn't hear goodness. them and it's like paperback right and they start waving <laughs> as they're doing a harmony before <laughs> dun, 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 and you get to see them doing it and it's uh, uh that's amazing <laughs> and and it's like well there that's kind of that's kind of over there dude know? i've never heard that before that's real they would wave to get people to make noise so they didn't have to hit the harmonies yeah sometimes i'm sure i heard george <laughs> say that it was the thing they would wave uh, yeah. so but yeah so it's and it's very obvious that's the, oh, that's, dude. the thing. <laughs> that's that is amazing that's amazing and they could and in other places they couldn't hear themselves so yeah, it was a poor experience. Well, I read this book one time. This is we are really losing the the plot here, but that's okay. I read this book one time about Billie Holiday, um, and about uh, how hard it was for Billie Holiday because amplification in the sort of club she would play was so rudimentary at the time. Yeah, and so, what you didn't take into account being a performer at that age, or or like us as fans now looking back was that a performer had to be very loud for it to work because amplification was it wasn't like, you know, 1940, you got a sound guy, you know, like who do you call? You don't call the doo-wop shop. You know what I mean? 
you don't right. call Axis Sound. They don't just show up and plug in microphones, right? It's a and then there was a way of the microphones that did exist. There was a way to sing into them or not sing into them, and like there was some and there was a lot of things I just never heard. You know, usually when you're talking about Billie Holiday, people get distracted by the things that we talk about, right? The rumor and innuendo. They don't they don't talk about the idea of her vocals being amplified and what that was like. But it was a really interesting take on her career. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's some records of hers that I think are absolutely fantastic where the vocals are, are clearly recorded a little overmodulated yeah. and a little distorted anyway. There's some that aren't, you know, that are like super clean and crisp and with, the, you know, that you could tell they're recorded with these beautiful big microphones. Um, and, you know, that might have had a lot to do with her voice, too. I mean, because she yeah. sang really Yeah, well. I think it did. I think it did. Uh, so back to the who. Bringing it back, Br- bringing it back. Uh, so they get this album recorded. It, it back. They they've got to tour it, and so they start in England, and it's October of seventy three. They've got some kinks to work out. They're trying to use the backing track, and it's not working very well. They're having tech issues. At one show, they get so mad at the guy who's manning the booth because they get out of time with the track, and they drag him out on stage and cuss him out in front of the audience. Thanks. Pete Yikes. Townsend. Pete Townsend was a firecracker. Uh, the other complication is a forest trees thing, right? Like Daltrey and Townsend are so invested in the narrative of this thing they just created that they keep coming out on stage and like explaining all the details to the audience about the story that they're, that everyone's supposed to understand from Quadrophenia and no one cares. So they waste a bunch of stage time like talking over the audience. It's a mess. So it's with this kickoff that the who now make it through the uk portion and in november they land in the u.s they're going to kick off the tour november 20th 1973 at a venue called cow palace in san francisco california yeah awesome let's talk about seating at rock and roll shows for a moment you and i we we still like sort of to go to ga shows from time to time right that's that's shorthand yeah, I'm 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 tending to start to fall into the senior circuit, but yeah, I can I can do a little GA. <laughs> for for the uninitiated uh with regular concert going, there are kind of two styles of seating, right? There's the shows where everybody's got an assigned seat. And then there's the shows where they're called general admission. That means essentially first come first serve. Now, if you go see a very popular band, it's it's hard to know you will be close to the stage at a GA show, but it seems Especially if you're younger and dumber, it seems like a more attainable possibility because you don't have the budget to buy the expensive ticket, right? But if you can show up and get very close. I, I actually found a ticket stub the other day. I saw Third Eye Blind in 1999. And I was, or no, the year 2000, August of 2000. And it was at an amphitheater and we, I was general admission pit, which now I looked up. If you go see them in July in Indianapolis, that ticket is $150. And it was $27 with a $3 service fee in the year 2000. Yeah. (laughs) And I was really close to my favorite band at the time. Really, really close. Uh, And so that was, that's sort of, that's the high, right? That's what you're, if you're a young concert goer, especially a lot of times, that's the, the dragon that you're chasing. And I bring this up because I want to turn our attention away from the who for a moment. And I want to talk about a couple of college-age buddies. Scott and his friend. Scott and his buddy are who-heads. And they are very excited to attend this show at the Cow Palace. And they want to say they were in the room at the first show on the Quadrophenia tour. 
and they're young and they're broke, but you know what they have? They have time. So they get to the cow palace 12 hours in advance. And they get in line for what they hope will be the best night of their lives. Now, Cow Palace, 14,000 seat venue, not a small place. But these dudes have invested half a day and they get to claim some square footage that's pretty close to the stage. It pays off. And now it's showtime. It's finally happening. Lights go down. The band comes on. And it's a little sloppy. But these guys are watching their favorite band. And then, at about the 60-minute mark, Keith Moon passes out. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you today by Athletic Greens and their product, AG1. If the pandemic taught me anything, it's that my immune system needs to be in tip-top shape, and AG1 helps me get there. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, they're all there, and bonus, it does not taste bad, which is really good. Uh, It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, any of that stuff, contains less than one gram of sugar and helps better sleep quality and mental clarity and alertness. Really good when you're doing a lot of rock and roll research. It's important to me, right? Uh, So listen, it's time for you to reclaim your health. Arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop, cup of water every day. That's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Go check it out and just make sure you put athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Now, back to the show. Keith Moon passes out. Oh. <laughs> I've never heard this you, you, you can laugh because just thinking about what that would sound like is sort of funny. They're like in the middle of a song, and then all of a sudden he's just gone. So I hate that I I hate that I can't remember, but I heard a story about him passing out on Bonzo's kit, like for some like mm. Zeppelin was playing multiple nights. Like I do Garden, remember, I, or, I do remember or at that the story. Forum, uh-huh. like one of those things, and then Keith Moon sat in, and then he didn't make it. I do some. remember him sitting in on Bonzo's kit at some point. I do remember that. But he so, didn't sit in it. He didn't leave sitting up. Oh, so this is what happens here. He gets carted off stage. The house lights come up. The crowd gets a free intermission, right? Just what you want in the middle of a rock and roll show. Now, what the hell happened? So Townsend will tell the crowd later the age-old lie about food poisoning. But here's what really happened. <laughs> Moon was a little uptight. This is the first day in the U.S. It's the big production. They couldn't get it right in their home country. They were having a lot of trouble. So he meets this fan before the show. And this guy, I don't know who this guy is. He's nameless in rock history, but apparently had some fantasy about partying with the infamous Moon. You know, it's sort of like how people were like with Burt Kreischer, the comedian for a while. Oh, I want to party with you, man. Um, or, you know, there's different, different guys, right, who were like known as the guys that were crazy party guys. So this guy convinces, quote unquote, I'm sure it didn't take much, convinces Keith Moon to take some animal tranquilizers with him. <laughs> and they wash them down with brandy. Now, I we need to talk about this. I feel like every excess story in the 70s, or at least the ones we've talked about recently, this one and the story, a bunch of Black Sabbath stories, involve brandy. 
Can I ask you a personal question? Have you ever drank brandy? Yeah. I have sure. not. How is it? I don't like it. Like, why Why brandy? It, is brandy the thing where you're like, dude, I've drank everything, so now I just drink, like, carpet cleaner? Like, I, like why brandy? I, I don't know, man. There's there's tons of other, like, funky, gross things that you can drink, like Mad Dog 2020. Like Malort? Yeah, well, this shit is Malort. That's more like a goof than a drink. That's that's all all that is. So um, for sure. So so after the the house lights go up, like, so what happens? Okay, like, so so they, does someone come out and say anything? So he's drinking brandy, and and oh, Keith, yeah. Keith is on the tranks. The show is about to start. I only I only backtrack for a second to tell you this. So as the show starts, the fan collapses and is hauled out of the venue. So we know oh. something bad is about to happen because the uh, the guy who was it's like when your buddy gets food poisoning right before you, you know it's coming. So or, or Brian or Brian, remember that one time we were hanging out at the casino and I gave you a bunch of horse tranquilizer <laughs> and I passed out first. Did you know you, you were about to? You pass started out? this story and I was like, "Whoa, which time at the casino?" And I'm like racking my brain because you and I we've been to the casino before. Okay, so. Uh, oh, that's so crazy. So he, Keith has to actually play the show. So he's his drumming starts getting erratic pretty quickly. They're doing these new Quadrophenia tunes, and he's having trouble keeping up with the tracks. But I'm, I'm sure they're blaming that poor engineer they cursed out the week before instead. He's having a lot of trouble. And then they bang into Won't Get Fooled Again. And Keith can't hack it, and it's in the middle of Won't Get Fooled Again that he passes out. And so what do you do with your passed out oh. drummer? You haul him off the stage and you put him in the shower. Right? Maybe? Also, I've, yeah. I saw somewhere possible cortisone shot. <laughs> yeah, you give them a shot. Yeah. And they did something. After 20, 30-ish minutes, they're back on stage. Everyone's excited. The lights go down. The two guys down front, Scott and his buddy, who are now like in their 15th hour of Humania, they take their seats. The music cranks back up again. And we're rocking the magic bus. But they don't get very far in the magic bus. Oh, no. And it happens again. Oh, he passed out. And Keith oh is hauled off the stage. And the rest of the guys have to figure out how the hell they're going to finish this show. So the immediate thing they go to is, okay, cool. We're going to do See Me, Feel Me with no drums. And Daltrey goes to town with the tambourine. Because he was good at that. And then... In an iconic moment that you can watch because the video exists and it is in the show notes. A frustrated Townsend turns to the crowd and he asks everyone a question. Can anybody play the drums? Now, I want you to imagine just for a second, Murdoch. I want you to imagine me and you. And we're 19. We didn't know each other when we were 19. But let's imagine we did. Let's imagine we knew each other and we were both 19, which is also impossible. But we're full of piss and vinegar and self-confidence. And one of us, you can decide which one. One of us sort of knows how to play the drums. 
You do. And we've spent the last 15 hours waiting to see our favorite band. And we're so close to the stage that we can see the sweat and we can hear the pissed off whispers. And before the other one knows what's happening, when the call goes out from the legendary Pete Townsend, I'll be damned if the other one of us hasn't had the balls to yell out and turn around and go, he can do it. He can play the drums. (laughs) Yeah. And suddenly the promoter, not just any promoter, the legendary Bill Bill Graham. Wow. Is in your face. And he says, is it true? Can you do it? And that, that's how 19-year-old Scott Halpin ends up on stage filling in on Keith Moon's drum set. Ooh, so can you tell us about the show? Like, what happened? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm excited about this. This is fun. Here's what Scott says later. Graham just looked at me and said, can you do it? And I said, yes, straight out. And then Townsend and Daltrey looked around, and they're as surprised as I am because Graham's put me on stage. Now, I did read somewhere that this was a little bit of a stretch of the truth, that Halpin knew how to play the drums, but he had not been behind the drum set in like a year. (laughs) Wow. Which I'm sure a little bit of liquid courage was involved, but it's probably mostly just the absolute idiocy of of being a 19-year-old white male to think that you can just do something like that. (laughs) But here's the thing. I will be damned if he didn't pull it off. The roadies pull him up. They give him a shot of Keith's brandy. That's a real thing that happened. And then Townsend looks at him and says, okay, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to cue. Watch me. And the band first decides, okay, we're going to do some traditional blues. They do smokestack lightning and they do spoonful. And he's hanging on. And, And so they're like, fine, screw it. Let's do it. And they burst into the Who song, Naked Eye. Unbelievable stuff. The band finishes their last number. Halpin then walks to the edge of the stage and takes a bow alongside Townsend, Daltrey, and Entwistle. Unbelievable. So, imagine being a 19-year-old kid. You grab your buddy... You've just played on stage with The Who, and you're ready to go backstage and party. <laughs> this is Halpin's been interviewed a lot in the years after this. This becomes his claim to fame, right? He waits 12 I'm hours sure. to be in this, in this concert, hoping for the best night of his life. Most people would tell you nothing that happens when you're 19 is going to be the best night of your life. Sort of, sort of works out for Scott Halpin. Yeah, it does. He says, quote, they were very angry with Keith and they were fighting among themselves. It was the opening date on the tour and they were saying, why couldn't he just wait until after the show if he wanted to get high? Then supposedly Daltrey is he's at this period where and you hear about this when you read about the who there's this period where Daltrey starts drinking Jack from the bottle. It's like his thing. So he's like backstage drinking Jack from the bottle and he tells Scott, he's like, we'll pay you a thousand bucks. And then this roadie comes out and hands him a tour jacket. And then the band leaves. They're all gone. And then at some point that evening, Scott's jacket gets stolen. (laughs) 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 He 
also never gets a check from the Who. That was just something they said out loud. No one ever gets his stuff. They don't send him anything. But he does end up in Rolling Stone magazine named Pickup Player of the Year for 1973. Wow. What a great story, too. Now, what happens to Scott Halpin, right? Uh, He ends up finishing a master's degree at San Francisco State University. He becomes a composer in residence at Headland Center for the Arts in the Bay Area. Um, at one point, I believe he actually owns a punk rock club with his wife. Yes. Uh, plays in a few bands. None of them get super famous, but a band called The Sponges, a band called Funhouse, a band called Snake Doctor. And then in 1995... Snake Doctor. <laughs> I really want. Like I, I want to hear those demos. In 1995, he moves to Bloomington, Indiana, and he lives oh. out the rest of his life there. He died at the age of 54 in 2008 of a brain tumor. Yeah, unbelievable story. Scott Halpin, folk hero, who drummer. <laughs> New drummer. <laughs> and you know, the crazy thing is Keith was on the next night. They played LA the next day and he's, he's back. Plays fine. Unbelievable wow. stuff, man. Uh, so a couple things about Quadrophenia. First of all, they, they, so they like don't touch Quadrophenia for a little while after this because the tour is sort of considered a screw up. The album's good, but the tour, they can't really pull it off very well. So they sort of put it aside. They bring it back like a decade later or something. And then in 2012, they do the Quadrophenia tour again as a reunion. Right. And I went to that tour. I don't... Yes, you did. I remember. Yeah, you did not. And I don't know why you did not. But here's the story on this. So I called my dad. I found out that I, I had a friend who worked on this tour and was like, I'm going to hook you up. You can come to the tour. We'll get you like some really cool stuff. They don't do meet and greets, but we'll get you like some cool access, the whole thing. And I'm like, great. My dad loved the who he was a big who guy when he was a teenager in, in college. And so I call him, I'm like, bro, we're going to go see the who together. And we love seeing shows together. We've seen McCartney together. We've seen Dylan together. We've seen all kinds of stuff. Right. And, uh, and this was like sort of on our list. So I'm like, we're going to go see the who. And he's like, I want to be honest with you. And let me tell you, he doesn't pass on an opportunity to hang out with me. I can honestly say he's he is my biggest fan. <laughs> he loves hanging out with me. So I call him. I'm like, bro, we're going to go see the who. And like, it's quiet on the other end of the line. And I'm like, dad, are you there? What's up? And he's like, I don't know how to say this other than to say it. I saw the who in 76. I don't want to see him in 2012. <laughs> I was like, right fine, on. dad, fine. I'm going to call your brother. So I called my late uncle Jim and Jim says, great. I'll come and take your dad's ticket. We'll go together. It'll be some uncle nephew fun stuff. So about a week before the show, uh, he calls me and he says, I had something come up. I can't come. I'm like Jim, you're killing me, dude. So, you must have not been available because otherwise you would have been my next call. So I must have called you and you must have turned it. Oh, well, you hate the who. So that's probably what it was. You're probably like, no, I don't want to go see I, the who. Yeah. Cause you're like, I wonder what was happening. I was probably like, I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I 
so so I called my buddy Chad, who's a big guitar god guy. He loves seeing the guitar gods. And I'm like, listen, we'll go see Townsend. It'll be awesome. He loves rock. So Chad and I decide to go. And this connection friend of mine gets us this access to this package that you could buy. If you had enough money, you could buy this. But she gets us it free. And like I said, they don't do meet and greets because they're the who. So at this point in their career, to you have to get creative when you're creating like a fan club sort of package. So this was the package. We showed up at the venue at like 4.45. The show doesn't start until 8 or 9 or something, right? And we show up, and there's a big group of people who have paid to be in here, except for me and Chad. They give us these cool lanyards, and they're like, all right, the who is doing their sound check, you know, in an arena. Okay, so shh, follow me. And they walk us into the bowl, like sort of down front, but not super close to the stage, like sort of the back half of the seats, you know, like in the middle of the floor. And they're like, there they are. And Pete Townsend, I swear, is using a music stand. And he's got little glasses on the edge of his nose. And I mean, it looks like he's practicing like for his worship band. Lord, I lift your name on high. No. So they're playing whatever. They're, they're practicing something. He like looks up at some point and sort of like, oh, the fans are here. And he like waves. And then they're like, okay, great. And then they take us out of the bowl. <laughs> that was it. And they're like, okay. So now you have like three hours until the show starts. So come to this catered dinner. And so they take us into this room in the arena and it is a big buffet with delicious food, as I remember it, and an open bar. And do they have swag? Because I heard that they had these real cool customized who official items. There were whoopee cushions that when you sat on them, they <laughs> shut, went, up. Ah! shut up. Instead of the fart get, noise. Get out. Get out. <laughs> I can't believe I fell for that. I was like, dude, did I? Did I not get this stuff? Did I not get the cool tour jacket? Did someone steal it from me? Do I, okay, am I Scott Halpin? I was, uh, I was trying to think about what's the most amazing way I could make that noise. I was like, whoopee cushion. <laughs> Thanks for oh letting us behind the, the curtain to your hilarity. Okay, so so I could, so basically I'm like, okay, I didn't pay for this, but suppose that I did. How do I get my money's worth? And that is at the bar. So Brian proceeds to get blasted. I don't do this very often. You know this. We hang out a lot. There's only been a handful of times you've probably ever seen me on the right side of Tipsy. And I get pretty blasted with with Chad. And then we go into the show and we're like in the ninth row. And it was awesome. But what was hilarious is that a lot of people in the venue didn't understand what they'd bought a ticket for. Yeah, they bought a ticket to see The Who. What's this? (laughs) You trolling The Who on our podcast is my new favorite thing. Um, Okay, no, they bought a ticket. I can imagine. What's this? Okay, here, let me explain. They thought they bought, they, they thought they were coming to like, the Who plays their greatest hits. They, they weren't. Hits. Yeah, they were. They yeah. were. They came to watch The Who play a 1973 concept album called Quadrophenia. Quadrophenia. And so that's what they do. They come out and they play it front to back, both albums. It's it's a double album. Did you hear me say that? So it's very long. 
they at the encore they come out and do like five big songs, but that's it. Otherwise, they just do Quadrophenia. So all these people forked out all this money and they're like pissed off. But I, meanwhile, was having a good time and I bumped into somebody and I think Chad had to get in the middle so that we didn't get in a fight because somebody got mad at me for being loud. And that's my who story. I saw the Quadrophenia tour a long time after the first time. Uh, the, a long time after Scott Halpin saw it. And uh, it was it was a good time. I had a, I had a good night. You almost got into a, and you almost got into a fight. Okay, almost got into a fight. I mean, I don't think I almost got into a fight. Chad probably almost got into a fight on my behalf. Good times. Uh, good time. Brian doesn't come out very often. Not hasn't really come out since that Who concert in 2012, except at my brother's bachelor party, which we will not tell that story. Okay, so one more thing about Quadrophenia, and this is also going to be like totally in a in a blind spot. No go zone for Murdoch. Uh, do you remember? Do you know the movie? The movie producer, baker, director, Mike Binder. He did no, a, I don't. Okay, he did a handful of movies. He did a movie called The Upside of Anger that I really liked. It was a movie called Man About Town. Had Ben Affleck in it. But he did this movie in 2007 called Rain Over Me. And yeah, do you remember this movie? Well, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Okay, so. It's about a guy who loses his family in 9-11. And this was only six years after 9-11. And his like coping mechanism is he loves listening to Quadrophenia. And so it's called yeah. Rain Over Me because he's listening to Love Rain Over Me. Like I and there, I'm sure there's some connection. One of his his wife or his kids or something love that. I don't know why he's listening to that album. But it's like that was like my main introduction to that record because I didn't really know that era of the Who. And uh, I saw that movie, and I went by myself, like on a Tuesday, to see that movie in 2007 for some reason. Because uh, I was in radio at the time, and I was working mornings, and like so, people were like at work, and I would just go to the movies. And that's a, that's a weird movie to see by yourself because it's basically about tragedy. It's just about yeah. sad dads. Like the whole movie is just sad dad territory. So I'm like early 20s, just pouring popcorn down my throat, almost crying. It was an awkward afternoon, and that's what uh, Quadrophenia makes me think of. Any notes on your favorite band, The Who, before we close? <laughs> no, I will say that I will say they have a, a great guitar god in that band, and his name is John Entwistle, and he is a virtuoso, and yeah. he's so super talented. Yeah, he is the one who gets the least amount of print, for sure. He, he does, and he died... Uh, because he overdosed in a hotel room in Vegas doing a bunch of cocaine with a bunch of uh, with uh, sex workers. Is that is um, that true? Yeah, that sounds like rumor and innuendo. Do we need to have another episode about the Who? I well, I mean, we could. <laughs> other than it's like who had who went out on top as a rock star, like you know, at seventy two or however and old whistle he was. Wins. He he just never quit. Living that lifestyle, I guess. Ooh, they didn't find the porn on his computer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess not. Poor Pete. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh man. Well, if you love the Who, feel free to send a note of hatred towards Murdoch. Now, don't be not be nice to him. We're all entitled to our own opinions. But if you but if you have something you'd like to say, you can do that at We Are the Story Guys at gmail.com. Uh, thank you to our producer, uh, Leif, who uh, helped us with this story. Get this on our radar. Uh, 
amazing, amazing stuff. And check out anything that we're up to uh, when you head to wearethestoryguys.com. You can find out a lot there. And please, leave us a review on iTunes, which is not a thing anymore. Apple Music. Leave us a a review on Apple Music. Um, Click the stars on Spotify, that sort of thing that helps other people find the show. Uh, We really appreciate you. Uh, Murdoch, what should people keep doing until next time? Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.